Welcome to this bonus episode of A Country Podcast. I'm Melanie Tate, world-famous expert on the many shades of purple in Esme Watson's wardrobe. And I'm Kim Lester, leading authority on just how many wombats played fatso in the 1980s teledrama A Country Practice. Is it true that it was 87, Kim? I think it was more like 153. We're just popping into your feed this week. Just a quick little pop in with our whole interview with Shane Porteous. Yeah, we loved that interview so much, didn't we, Mel? We sure did. And I still can't believe what a good sport Shane's been, Kim, after your ongoing objectification of his hair. (laughs) Enough. I've had enough of this. (laughs) Yes, we are lucky. Do you know what? It's actually my New Year's resolution, Kim, to not objectify Shane Porteous or his hair anymore. He's been so kind to us. He has been. Oh, he has been so patient with us. And you'll see in this interview how generous he was with (laughs) us as well. Totally. But just before I start my New Year's resolution, I just want to point out that his hair does still look wonderful. Uh, We did this interview via Zoom, so it was an hour of uninterrupted views of that fabulous, beautiful hair. (laughs) How's that New Year's resolution going for you? It starts now. (laughs) Uh, hello, I'm Shane Porteous. I used to be Dr. Terence Elliott on a country practice um, set in Wandon Valley back in the uh, in the 1980s and early 1990s. Shane, how did you come to get the call up to be Dr. Terence Elliott on a country practice? It was uh, it was a, a general audition. Uh, I'd just come back from doing a, 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 a little film down Tasmania, and I got an audition. I went in. And uh, and auditioned uh, opposite a couple of different uh, uh, actresses, and um, and I thought that I was probably too young for the role at the time. Uh, it, it had been written for us sort of early forties, mid forties, and I was still late thirties at that stage. Um, but after sort of humming and hawing and more sort of tests, we did some. Uh, yeah, some some tests and uh, yeah, that finally settled on me for the part. So you you'd done a lot of television and film and theatre beforehand. The script itself did it have? A, a, I mean, was there magic when you read it to begin with? Did you know it was going to be something special? I knew. I, I had a feeling that it was going to last. It. Uh, I. It was just. I think it was just coming at the right time when. Uh, all the kinds of shows that were on at the time were uh, the very melodramatic kinds of shows. They were imitating uh, Dallas and and those those sorts of shows. And uh, there hadn't been a sort of a, a down to earth Australian kind of show for a while. And I thought, oh, well, yes, I think it'll have a chance. Anyway, you know, there was uh, there was a, a three months booked up, and I thought, wow, that's better than nothing. You know? <laughs> And uh, yeah, and uh, once once the the script started coming out uh, all the time, we realised just how much care they were taking with with the scripts. That's that's what set it aside from most of the others uh, around. It was just the care uh, with with the scripts. What was the state of the industry like at that time? Was it unusual for a TV show to last uh, as many years as a country practice ended up lasting? Uh no, there were a few things uh, that that lasted a reasonable time. Uh, Cop Shop had been on for for quite a while beforehand, and and other Crawford productions uh, down in Melbourne. Um, 
and there was uh, uh, restless years and uh, and all those sorts of shows that would run a, run a couple of years, you know, on three or four years anyway. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 no, they, were, they had a good history of of reasonably long running ones, but. Uh, eventually, we did. Uh, at one stage, we were the longest-running show ever in Australia. <laughs> and, as, uh, <laughs> as, as an actor, when you are, you know, you said you you had that sense that it was going to go for a while. As an actor embarking on something like that, is that something that you do want to be part of a long-running series, or or is it a bit daunting as well? Not daunting uh, because. Uh, it was just a it was just a a, a year to year uh, con- contract we we were off contract at the end of every year and sort of just hoping that they would renew the contract for the next year at the time uh for me it was terrific because i had my eldest daughter was just going in just finishing primary school and going to high school and had two other kids younger than her and i thought oh, Perhaps if you know if we can get them through to university, <laughs> that would be really good because you know a, a jobbing actor, freelance actor, the, the the chance of working on the long run, you know, having of being paid uh, regularly for a, a fair amount of time seemed unlikely. <laughs> you know, so uh, no, it it was in that uh, in that regard, it was it was it was a joy to do. Artistically, I probably should have got out of it earlier in a way and, and gone and, and just broadened things out because I'd done a lot of theatre before and I enjoyed theatre and I would have liked to go, go back to, to theatre more than I did. Uh, but uh, uh, And at the end of it, uh, I, I knew that I was uh, typecast, really typecast and that people after watching me on television for 12 years in Wandon Valley aren't going to think of me of anything else than a doctor for some time. And uh, which is why I started writing for the show. I'm really excited about us getting to that that aspect of, of your career as well. But I, I want us to keep at the beginning of the show just just for a moment was it immediately successful in the first season? Did you immediately notice that people were watching? Uh, no, uh, not really, because they, they 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 did the very clever thing of actually starting to run it uh, off ratings period, and the off ratings period because normally other you know all the all this, the, the 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 shows that were already running they took them off in the, in the off rating period to save them up for the next year. So we uh, we virtually had a clear run, but because they weren't taking ratings, we really didn't didn't know until uh, sort of early into the or into the middle of the next year uh, just uh, how how it was going and uh, the first time we we they extended it we gave us a new contract then we sort of thought ah yes I think we've got a, a success uh, but at that stage no idea that it was going to run twelve years. Could could you tell out on the street though? You know, when you were down getting your milk and bread from the shops. Yes, I mean, because I live in a very small country town, uh, in a small you know town up in the up in the Blue Mountains, uh, and um, and after sort of, and I'd been there for a while at that stage, so everybody got used to me. I was you know there was the town butcher and the town dentist and the town actor, and uh, so everybody was just 
used to me being around. So uh, in my own neck of the woods, there was no problem. But if if I you know was and and in even in Katoomba, which is slightly bigger, I was you know uh, I was a fairly familiar face around the place, and. And generally, with a show like uh, a country practice uh, set in a small country town, it was we were all sort of uh, looked on as neighbours by the viewers. Those people that there were in, that you came, you know, like you who came into the, the lounge room quite often, and that that was the first um, kind of response when when you meet somebody in the see somebody in the street and they go. Oh, <laughs> oh, hello. It, it was, hello, I know you, you're a friend, and I haven't seen you for a while. And then, then the, the penny had dropped. When I was out with, or sort of came into the city or something, and, and I was with, uh, with Jen, my wife, and, and the kids, and people you know, start to get a bit pushy and, and things, I, that was hard, you know, it was hard, that was hard on the, on the kids and, and uh, on, uh, on Jenny. So that, that wasn't, wasn't a pleasant experience, but most of the time it really was, and that's what you buy into. You know, mm. you, you can't you, uh, you can't be an actor and uh, be invisible at the same time. You know. What? How involved were you in the development of Terence as a character over the years? Mostly, it was the, it was the writers. It came from the writers, and oh, they were always had. Uh, Sort of, and they invited input from the cast uh, all the time. So if we had any any ideas for storylines and things, but they also, uh, even if you, if you, they were happy for us to change lines, for example, as long as we, uh, we let them know before we actually were, were taping it, and they would sort of you know say that's okay, and but not sort of at the last minute say I want to say it this way, and you know, and so the director says like does no know which way to go, who to turn to. So, but uh, yeah, and um, at one stage, I remember after Terence had gone through his first few wives and um, <laughs> um, and they sort of didn't want to build in a permanent female relationship there, I, I thought uh, my, my suggestion they took up was that Terence would frequently go up to Burrigan, which was the, the big town, was the the, the you know the, the big rural city nearby, uh, which was uh, twenty minutes away or two hours away, depending on what the plot needed. But uh, <laughs> he would uh, Terence would I said suggested that he would go up there to do research, <laughs> and everybody knew that in fact what he was up there was you know. Uh, uh, was uh, <laughs> to meet a lady friend. Yeah, making lady, yeah, meeting lady friend. Um, the it's interesting. We I, I was listening to a podcast the other day where two actors were from very long running shows were talking about how over the time of those long running shows, the writers would sort of mess with them. You know, would would hear about things that were going on in their lives and think that maybe the actor could access that pain for the show or the like. Did anything ever like you? You know, did you ever see anything that was going on in your life get transferred to Terence? Well, uh, one thing was <laughs> right right from the start, I, I had uh, I had a severe allergy to uh, horse uh, serum, right. horse uh, horse hair and stuff, and uh, so I said, "Look, can we write that in for Terence?" 
friends, you know, that he is allergic to to horse uh, hair and, and stuff like that. And that will, you know, that means that gives me a good excuse to stay away from horses. But of course, but another sort of two seasons down, uh, they looking back to for some, in in the files for something for Terence to say. Hey, he's allergic to horses. How about we give him this story where he goes out and he has to be on the horse and he has this allergic reaction and so so. so did they? Did you actually have to go on a horse? That sounds like a workplace hazard if you're actually allergic to them. <laughs> well, I wasn't actually on a horse. I had I, I, I had been uh, many years before a country practice. I'd done a show where I uh, set in the, the 19th century in Australia where I had to be on the horse a lot. And I was doped to the eyeballs on the antihistamines before I got on the horse. I was just vaguely swaying. But uh, this one, I actually didn't have to ride the horse. That has to be round about it. So for the wide shots, which showed me getting close to the horse, I took a deep <laughs> breath and said all my lines without you know, breathing in until they said they'd cut and then would move away and we'd do close-ups with the horse. So we, we worked around it. That's great. Uh, how did uh, how did John Handlin come to Wandon Valley and a country practice? Um, this, towards the end, about, about in the late eighties, uh, when I was th- thinking, yes, I'm going to be typecast after this, and I you know, still uh, have kids going through uni, and I still have to eat. Um, and so I thought, what I would have liked to have done actually was to direct, to learn to direct, but that requires uh, requires to you know, practice directing. You have to have a whole crew and a cast to practice writing. All you need is a typewriter. Then I thought, well, uh, I've done this. I know how the show works. I know and and uh, and are reasonably good with dialogue. So I uh, did a submission, as, as writers were always invited to do, which was to write basically. A thirty-minute or twenty, no, ten scenes. I think it just to be ten or fifteen scenes, and then send it in, and they would sort of assess that and and bring you in and talk to them, and then they might give you a, a one uh, thing. And uh, uh, so, and I, because I didn't want um, them to be any influence or, or uh, bias. Either way, I mean, it could. They could have said, "No, I'm sorry, we <laughs> we need you to just concentrate on the writing because you know, if on the on the acting because if you were, uh, you know, if you become if you start to think you're a good writer, you might resign from the show and and go trying writing for something else. Or on the other hand, they could have been biased, saying, "Oh gosh, yes, we want to keep we better keep him happy. We'll sort of accept the the, the thing." So, uh, in connivance with uh, the late. Bill Searle, who was my friend, and uh, he was the uh, uh, script editor uh, at the time. I uh, submitted the uh, this my put my submission in under the name of of John Hanlon, uh, and um, and they, and so it went through all the processes of you know of being uh, of the of a script editor looking at it, and then uh, and then the producer uh, James Davin looking looking at it, and uh, and and he said yes. And, and so, but then I had to sort of you know, come out of the closet, as it were, um, because you know you've got, you've got to go into script meetings to, to plot the, the thing. But uh, they went along with that, and I eventually ended up writing six episodes uh, of that, um, and um, and that eventually did 
make my other career later on afterwards. So, so we, we got the kids through uni and, and we <laughs> ate regularly. Did you, did you enjoy one more than the other, acting or writing? Did you feel was uh, one you felt more connected to? I, I, I enjoyed what I was doing. Usually just enjoyed what I was doing at the time. It was nice to have the change uh, to, to go into the writing. And, and for me, at first, of course, there was a whole lot of learning going on. You know, it was a whole new sort of thing. And, and, uh, and the excitement of, of actually learning uh, to do it and getting, and getting things uh, wrong and corrected and then right. And then, you know, um, and, but then, getting back to the uh, uh, to acting again uh, I, I, I would have to take usually a sort of a we we, we usually scheduled uh, small blocks of a few few weeks off for each of the main the principal characters just for a bit of R and R during the year and, uh, and I used those times to to, to write uh, the episodes but um, no the, I enjoyed both. Terence's storylines, we had one of the writers we've speak, spoken with, she she said one of the things she loved uh, working on most was uh, storylines for long-suffering Terence. Um, <laughs> did you have a, a, a storyline or a, you know, one that sticks out the most as being the one you most enjoyed playing or you thought was the most important? Well, the, 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 the obvious one would be the, the one... Uh, with Terence's daughter Sophie, uh, where she comes back into his uh, life after, because he, he she, you know, the, the, his first marriage had split up when he was, and that's how he, why he left the city, and came to the live in, in Wandon Valley, and his, uh, so he had the teenage daughter, who, uh, which had been brought in uh, as a by, as a different actress early in the uh, in the show, and then this particular one came back and and got she got in touch with him and found out that uh, she was in fact a heroin addict um, and trying to kick it and and, uh, and that was a that was a very strong emotional uh, storyline there and they had a lot to uh, yeah, yeah that was a it was I, I I've actually just watched those four episodes this morning and um, it's also really spot on for what was going on in Australia at the time, isn't it? What, this building epidemic of um, heroin use in King's Cross and, and also as the HIV, um, people, we were starting to learn about HIV as well because Sophie was diagnosed with HIV. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, uh, that was true. We, when we shot, it, uh, shot a lot of it around the cross when Terence had to leave Wanda Valley and go and look for Sophie down in the city and, and, uh, and just... Uh, just uh, in fact, I had stayed down in the cross rather than commute because we had early, a few early mornings, and uh, and seeing the, the the cross at night at that at that time, um, and 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 seeing the back alleys with littered with needles and you know all that uh, on that and and you know, it, yeah, it was it was a pretty true reflection of what was going on. Yeah. I, just, I was just going to add to that, even the involvement of Waverley Chapel and St Vincent's Hospital, which were actually, I think, nationally known names because of what was going on in the cross at the time. It was They were certainly names I was familiar with as someone who grew up in central Queensland. One of the things that was always really great about country practice was the, the research. 
uh, they did on everything. They had uh, the the, uh, the researchers were basically medically trained researchers um, and used, uh, nurse, you know, experiences uh, with a with a gift for uh, you know to being able to to write and express themselves well, and, and then to do the the other research as well, not just the medical research, and. Uh, and they they were also uh, on set on, in the studio when we were shooting uh, medical scenes to actually make sure that not only were we picking up the right end of the instrument and uh, and, uh, and and pronouncing words properly, but we knew exactly the, what what the the outcome would be and what the the risks were and the threats were and you know all those kind of things. So that was that was very important to the success of the show, I think. Shane, Kim and I were talking earlier about those episodes, the Sophie episodes, and I remember watching them as a kid. I would have been about eight or nine at the time and being scared of heroin basically until my 20s because of, because of um, you know, the messaging we were getting, but the country practice messaging was, I think, the most strong um, in my life. Uh, have you heard similar stories about uh, about the influence of the show on you know, people's lives and on their medical knowledge and, and on awareness of, of issues and, and the yeah. like. Mm. Yes, there were, I, I had over the years, um, maybe a dozen or so uh, letters from viewers who said that, uh, um, that, that they had picked up um, a, a problem uh, an issue uh, was one from uh, the uh, the parents of, of a viewer uh, who picked up their their daughter's uh, uh, problems with uh, body image and and, uh, and eating disorders, um, which I remember quite quite strongly. And uh, yeah, there were a, a, a number of those. So. If, if we were to look now at the at the cast in general, we, one of the things we found in uh, putting this podcast together is that everybody has wanted to talk with us. Everybody um, ha- seems to have had a very happy time on the set as well. How do you remember the the company, if you will, the the camaraderie or the the other people you worked with? They were always a joy, always a joy to work with. Um... Because and and I I think again a lot of it just boils down to the to the front office and the J and P productions and the scripts that we we were never we were never put in a position that like sometimes you can do it uh, in those days particularly uh, with the things like the box and number ninety six and the things where you when you were doing scenes and 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 you're actually sort of rolling your eyes inwardly at the kind of stuff you had to say. There was none of that. So we were all confident that our characters were being written for as our characters, not just cardboard cutouts. Uh, and that made us comfortable on, on set. Um, and also they were, uh, they were family-friendly kinds of, uh, of stories that, you know, that, ones that we could easily relate to as, as ordinary human beings. Mind you, the, the first first few episodes uh, that uh, were planned uh, and, and shown as 8.30 time slots, they were, uh, the show was originally conceived of as a bit harder hitting 
then it became, but it was apparently after the first about uh, four or five shows, they realized that this was more a family show than the, the, an adult show that they originally planned. And you, if you look at the first few, they were quite tough uh, things that there was, uh, uh, I think a, a bit of, about, uh, um, oh. We've watched a few and that's that's an observation that we've definitely made is that it was a bit more edgy in the in the beginning. Um, and also it feels like a little bit of a, there's almost sort of a, a level of um, politics that are sort of left over from maybe the 70s and that sort of revolutionary sort of time of the 60s. And then it reflects Australia in that we sort of got a little bit more conservative in the 90s. Um, so I've noticed that. Uh, another thing that I've noticed is um, from from about 19. 19- 85. So from 81 to about 85, it's a really stable set of cast members. You know, you had uh, Vicky and Simon and uh, Molly and Brendan and yourself and Shirley and Frank. And then after that, as as some of those guys moved on, um, because we jump around, we don't so we obviously we can't don't have time in our lives to, <laughs> to watch a thousand episodes. I <laughs> I have two small children, so <laughs> but um but we've noticed as we go from you know eighty seven and then jump ahead to nineteen ninety, the cast has really changes a lot. What was it like working with all of those different people over the years and and watching your workplace change so much over the years? Yeah, a lot of that was was driven uh, by um, uh, uh, demographic research. Uh, in that, uh, the younger characters uh, were felt just to have a, a fairly limited appeal span. That they, you know, they they were the younger characters. You know, the uh, uh, Simon and and and. Uh, uh, and Vicky and and that were designed for uh, sort of mid teenagers, mid to late teenagers, and as these those kids grew grew older, uh, they maybe stopped watching the new ones. So they 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 felt that they had to renew uh, the younger cast uh, characters. Uh, the neighbours, I think, does much the same kind of thing. Uh, on a regular basis, so the turnover wasn't necessarily reflective of the uh, of the actors wanting to leave, or else the the, the uh, producers thinking the actors weren't doing a good enough job. It was just a sort of a, a democratic kind of thing that they had to look at all the time. So, but um, generally, the, the 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 old older cast members who uh, you know were were fairly solid and they were and really good at, at welcoming new people in. Uh, Lorraine Desmond was particularly good at, at yeah. welcoming young people in. And uh, so that, that it kept it, it kept it, uh, a nice even keel most of the way through. Is, is there anything you would have liked to have been different about Terence? <sighs> it would have been... A lot of fun to play if, he, if he'd had a, a darker side, some some <laughs> really really awful hidden hidden side way back somewhere. But 
Yeah, but that, that was that was just me being bored rather. <laughs> they kind of allude to, it's interesting you say that though, because throughout the Sophie episodes and also in those first few episodes, there's a lot of alluding to his past as an alcoholic. And also, yeah. you know, and, and that kind of, it kind of comes in and out. You know, I, I watched the Molly episodes last night where Molly died, wow. which I hadn't ever seen as an adult. And I expect, you know, it's funny because we all know what happens. I was in floods of tears by the end. And there's there's a scene uh, in it where Terence and, and Simon are having a drink together. And, you know, having watched the Sophie episodes, having watched those beginning episodes, I thought, oh, my gosh, is Terence about to fall off the wagon? You know, is but no, it didn't happen. So, so there was kind of an opening for that in a way, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and he wasn't an alcoholic, just a drunk. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, as yes, that was, a, and and that uh, it was a slightly confused message about his drunkenness uh, in the past uh, caused the death of his son, Nick, uh, Christopher. That's the name of the character. Yes, Christopher, I think. Um, or yeah, there were, were, did he have three? This is what we can't figure out. Did he have? Three children and and two of them were dead by the end of the series, or did he have? This is what we can't. I can confirm this having just watched the Sophie episodes. <laughs> I think yeah. there was a there was a young son that died, David, yeah. who died yes, right. very young, and then CK Christopher CK yeah. uh, came in. Was he in? Did he just have a short lived storyline in uh, season? He, no, he he survived. Oh, he survived. Uh, yes. oh, thank goodness. He, he, he survived and turned into Peter Phelps. Um, ah. <laughs> <laughs> at one stage came back as a, as a fully adult son. Um, so it was, no, it was David that, that uh, yeah, I think was the name. I, you, you, you remember more than I do. Oh, it was only because it happened about half an hour ago. <laughs> Shane, what about the show itself? Is there anything you think the show itself could have done better that it perhaps didn't address or that, that it could have it could have been better at in representing or the like? I don't know. I, it was never, I don't think anybody ever expected it to be uh, a life-changing sort of revolutionary kind of uh, uh, left-wing charge into the into a future. It was still had to be entertaining. Entertainment was its main goal, and that that's that was quite clear. Um, but we it it was it was gently left of centre. I think uh, I hope. Um, and even even when Bob Hawke came on uh, as 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 a guest uh, actor playing Bob Hawke, um, right at the end, I think Terence had a little thing, you know, where they said, "Oh." Thank God, Bob Hawke stopped the whatever it was—the road going through or something. You know. and, uh, and Terence had a little line or something about saying, "Yeah, but he's a politician still, so it's up to us to, up to the people to actually uh, make things happen." Uh, but yeah, I, I because you're so in, you are in the in the middle of it, uh, and and uh, just so you're more concerned. You really, we were really concerned, I think, with our characters. Uh, you know, with with these these people that we were creating every week that we come to know and love and and live with, and um, so we. I think about 
if the characters, the various characters had to push certain barrows, that was great. But uh, no, I, I don't know that it had to do. I mean, it did some great things like uh, the, the Gary Foley uh, uh, episodes um, set out in Broken Hill um, and where uh, uh, Ben, my son Ben, at that stage was uh, doing work experience at Channel 7. He got sent out to Broken Hill as well. So work in Broken Hill on, on uh, work experience. But uh, Gary himself said at the, at the time that uh, thanks to uh, the work that he did, again, with, with uh, uh, the late Bill Searle, who's uh, Adam Searle's father, you know, Adam's the leader of the, of the upper house, uh, the opposition in the upper house. Um, he, um, he got, as, a, as, a, as an activist, uh, uh, Gary, as, a, as an, an activist, got to contact and influence far more people in those two episodes, two hours on television than, you know, than he had in, in 10 years. And he's sort of re recognised the, the opportunity for that, of, of, of spelling out the, uh, the problems of, of uh, uh, Indigenous people living in, in, even in communities uh, out west. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 did, it did have something. What, when the show, we, we, we knew the show was really buzzing when almost coincidentally it the, uh, when the would, would go to air when some other issue, another issue had just accidentally come up, there was sort of a zeitgeist kind of thing, but which was, the, it was predated because the the, the 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 episodes were written twelve weeks before they actually got, went to air. But uh, but that that happened a lot, uh, you know, quite sort of coincidentally uh, that that uh, we were playing the the situations were happening in the news currently. That's quite remarkable. That's the and and that's my role on this podcast is to is to look at what's going on and it was going on in Australia at the time and what people were consuming in their news and our social politics of the time and and how it's reflected in the show and I'm definitely noticing that quite a lot there's an episode just talking about um I guess talking about that that representation one thing we've sort of Melanie and I have noticed is you know it's obviously not a very multicultural show which I think is reflective of Australia of what we were seeing on Australia at the time and I get the impression that if it was a show that was being made today it would actually do a lot better on that front than lots of other shows make any effort to to do. Um, and the other storyline that I, I, I watched this last weekend and I, I just spent the whole week just occasionally thinking of it and remembering it was an episode called Mates and it was about a couple, uh, two men who were, everybody in the town assumed were brothers. This was from season two. And they assumed that they were brothers. They were older men who lived together. And the town adored them and adored their contribution to the town. And then it it became apparent that they weren't actually brothers and most likely they were a gay couple. And, I mean, it ended so tragically. Um, but I thought this is... This, this would be something that would have made so many people uncomfortable at the time but would have been such an important episode for for men in their and, and even women in their situation. And I thought it was handled really well for 1982, which is when it went to air. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That had already been uh, touched. 
it had been touched on um, a bit in, in in shows before country practice, but uh, it was more or less just generally accepted in, uh, in that one. But um, I do remember uh, we, we, talking about diversity that um, the uh, there was a lot of pressure from the writers on the producer uh, and producers about. In, including uh, people of color in, uh, in in the episodes, and the research coming back from um, Tunnel Seven and uh, people was the people your the audience your target audi audience the one who is spending the, has the money to spend doesn't want to know about some of those and there was I th there was subtle pressure uh, not to uh, to have you know that to have difficult um, uh, diversity issues um, you know playing I, out but it, it, yeah. it, so there was there was was pressure um, not not to make it too uh, multicultural and uh, and uh, uh, genre diverse and and, and gender diverse you know. mm. isn't that underestimating the audience a bit when you think about the things and the medical issues and the issues that that a country practice did like in the sophie episodes for example i nearly fell off my chair when dr terence is talking about how drugs should be legalized you know yeah. that would have been revolutionary for a 1980s like my I think of my mother who is still very conservative who still wouldn't quite get her head around that if she was watching it today she was watching that with her kids every week hearing stuff like that so the yeah. audience and and not not watching and thinking well Dr Terence thinks drugs should be legalized I'm not watching this anymore that didn't <laughs> you know so I, I think that the audience was probably being underestimated by oh, Channel 7 I, I, I'm absolutely certain I'm absolutely certain uh, but uh, the advertisers on television are sort of very nervous about their and they have specific markets that they're aiming at to I guess and some of them would have been conservative uh, like um, um, my parents, as as well as your parents, so even a generation uh, further back as well. Um, yeah, but there was there was that was there was something else I was coming to about that, but I've forgotten now. Um, it's it's so interesting. The yeah. what about life? Oh, oh sorry. Yes, well, <laughs> sorry. Wonderful thing is that I I always think that the Terence uh, was not a member of the AMA, who was a member of the Doctors Reform Society. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing when, and he definitely would have been part of the skeptics as well. I, I would imagine. The, oh yeah, yeah. The when he's, he he always you know for somebody that was in Roseville before Wandon Valley and by all appearances was very conservative, he was constantly saying things or doing things that would suggest he wasn't. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He was. Uh, I suppose socially conservative uh, uh, in. Oh, in traditional and it is and Terence was uh, had the had an innate arrogance uh, of, by the, the fact that he was a doctor and did all that training and he knew better than anybody else and uh, I mean the, the the story room just you know called him the god doctor the whole time <laughs> but but there was but I wanted and I, I was very keen to have that in, in, in that that there was 
a certain arrogance that said you know, that what I think and feel is right. And uh, you know, so that, that, that was an important part of, of his character, I think. Uh, it was quiet. It was quiet arrogance. <laughs> I'd love to know when the show finally wrapped up um, for you. What was life like after you know trying to get yourself away from Doctor Terence? And what was life like after the show? When they announced that they uh, they were going, they weren't going to continue because the show was still rating very well. Uh, it wasn't rating with the demographic that the that. The, the advertisers and Channel Seven wanted to rate with, um, but so they decided to you know to, to go. And I was at first sort of furious and, and you know saying that no, I can't do this. Look, you know, we're rating so well and things. And then, then I thought, oh, how nice <laughs> to not to be you know, having the weekend week thing. And uh, and I the lots of other things to go. And by that stage, of course, I've been doing some writing. So I was hopeful that I might be able to use that. Um, and, uh, and I might be able to do some theater and things. On the other hand, um, never, we were never, when we were never paid a huge amount, uh, the, the, uh, the regular actors in the country practice. Um, we'd sort of always, insisted that it was a, an ensemble show and that, that there was no sort of one particular uh, star and um, or or two or three particular stars that we sort of and we were happy to think that the the budget instead of all going to uh, the regulars too much would allow more guest uh, actors in because it was better stories uh, you know the more guests you can have and um, so, yeah, I, I did have, you know, after the first sort of few weeks of saying, isn't that nice, thinking, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> i got to start earning some money again soon. And uh, so, yeah, the, the, that, but since then, I, I went back to uh, that you know, stay, when, before I started getting some regular work on, uh, on Neighbours mm -hmm. uh, as a writer, uh, I went back to doing... Uh, uh, animation uh, artwork and, and things like that. So mm -hmm. um, at least, again, very poorly paid <laughs> animation artists are, are worth then. Shane, so if we look at the way an actor, say, who was in Seinfeld for a thousand episodes or, uh, or a similar show in the US would be set up for life and never have to work again, did a does a country practice or did a country practice do the same thing for the regular actors like you and like Joyce Jacobs etc no 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 we we were paid uh, probably the equivalent uh, a, a weekly when we were working uh, of uh, of say uh, a reasonable plumber or something like that that you know, when we're, when we're talking we're still talking four figures uh in the, for a week's work uh and and i, and I mean the low uh, uh, i don't think i ever got more than five thousand dollars a week at evans that's two thousand five hundred dollars an episode so we we would never pay that much but everybody expected us to be because in in tv week or tv times and things you say have uh 
the Seinfeld you know, guys on, on that page, and we were on the, the, the facing page. So we were we appeared to be on the same level uh, as far as the reader of the thing was concerned. Whereas, and but the the difference in the income was astronomical, and that's mainly that's just a reflection of the size of mm. Australia's population. That's all. Shane Potties, what is the true story about Iggy Pop and David Bowie and their love of a country practice? Uh, well, I didn't know about Iggy Pop until this this year when I saw it was it was actually re- repeated by Iggy Pop. Um, but we I already uh, knew the story, uh, and at the time of the and I can't remember what year it was, the Glass Spider tour, and David uh, and his family and entourage were living in Switzerland at the time, and uh, Sky. Uh, satellite television was running a country practice and and sitting in Switzerland, they were watching episodes and they loved a country practice. And uh, and so when he was coming to Australia to do his tour, he said, oh, I I love it, particularly like Fatso the Wombat. I want to meet Fatso the Wombat. (laughs) Uh, But uh, he couldn't do that. Well, mind you, this about that stage, this was our fourth or fifth uh, wombat who was playing Fatso, uh, we we had to get rid of them every uh, as they reached uh, puberty because they started biting people's ankles. Um, so uh, so anyway, but they couldn't. Uh, Featherdale was where the wombat was was uh, was living uh, in real life, uh, and they couldn't release him to be taken into town to be sort of put up for publicity, you know. So he said, oh, well, all right, well, um, Dr. Bowen, is, you know, <laughs> I'd love to meet Dr. Bowen. You know, he's a good-looking guy and he's, you know, he really does a great job. And I said, no, well, sorry, but, you know, you're, you're very out of date in Switzerland. Dr. Bowen left the show five years ago or three years ago. So he said, oh, who's left? <laughs> uh, so, oh, um, well, it's still Terence Elliott. Oh, all right, he'll do. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I got to come, but um, I, uh, they, it was, I, we were going to, I was going to uh, meet him um, before the show, before his, uh, us, uh, at the uh, entertainment centre. And, um, and I said, well, uh, wow, good, okay, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll happily do, I'll, 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 con- uh, uh, I'll condone to meet him. <laughs> As long as I can bring my teenage children, because it's the only, because you know, it was a nighttime thing, and I had to get like being home at night. You know? uh, so I, I took the three, took Fiona and, and Polly and Ben uh, to meet him, along with um, uh, Brett Climo, who was a real fan of, uh, uh, who was in the show, in the country practice at that stage. So we all, we all met him there before the show. And he came out uh, from the dressing room and uh, uh, talked to us. And he was uh, utterly charming, uh, a really nice guy. Uh, great small talk, you know, included all the kids and, and things. And, uh, and, and I hoped that we'd enjoy the show. And, uh, and, and then he, uh, and he went away and uh, you know, went into the show when it was very loud. <laughs> <laughs> But the kids liked it. <laughs> That's amazing. Did, was is there any photographic evidence of you all there together with him? 
There must I'm, be, surely. There were some photographs somewhere, but I, 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 I've never seen. I, I don't have any, and I never saw any of them. Uh, How uh, exciting! <laughs> that is so wonderful. Um, the other thing we just wanted to ask you about, about because we wanted to do, um, an episode. We want to do an episode about Esme because we're just finding watching the show back, you know, my memory, both of our memories as a kid is that she was meddlesome, silly old woman. And when you watch it as a grown-up woman, she's, she's amazing. She's so caring and just, just you know, like it, it's interesting what the trope of the kind of old spinster is, you know, when you actually look at it and watch it, it's somebody who cares about her community and all the like. And we would just love to ask you for some thoughts on the character of Esme Watson and of Joyce Jacobs, if, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, the first time she, uh, Esme Watson was written in, it was very early, um, but she, at that stage, she was uh, described as a 95-year-old woman. <laughs> um, um, and maybe they couldn't find a 95-year-old So hard to cast. The lower range. Because, uh, yeah. and, uh, and so Joyce, Joyce came on board with that. But Joyce... Joyce brought the the warmth and the comedy with with her, um, and uh, uh, that's that's a lot of that was just Joyce's performance that that moved her because she was basically she was fairly two dimensional to start with, and uh, and was only after uh, uh, Joyce sort of showed the possibilities of what uh, what she could do that the uh, the writers started to feed more into it and she became uh, a more rounded character and uh, and lots of fun uh, mm. as well yeah. um shane as well one other thing we'd love to ask you about too is what what do you remember about the making of the molly death episodes uh i really it was it was really about uh uh, uh, about Shane and Annie, it was really about the, the uh, uh, Molly and Brendan, and about their their journey. And uh, really, Terence was just providing the information uh, most of the time. So there were, you know, there's some difficult scenes to or difficult moments in real life, or where, where in real life you have to tell somebody that they have a terminal illness and not long to live. You know, that's must be terrible uh, place to be in, um, and um, so uh, and there was uh, we were all a bit very worried because Molly uh, uh, and Annie Denny was such a lo well loved character. Everybody loved Molly, uh, and we was and, and it was her idea to leave the show. She 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 didn't. Want to stay on any long? She didn't like the pressure of it, and she, you know, she wanted to to get on with life and things. And um, we were all worried that killing her would would actually turn audiences off a country practice and you know, potentially spill spend the spell the end of a country practice. So we were worried about about that. I think the cast and I think some of the writers too. But they said, uh, but they took the risk, and in fact, it was probably the making of the, of the show in a, in a way uh, to show that you know that they would take hard decisions, and so the, the, you, know, the, the, you can take the characters seriously, and you're a bit more concerned about the characters 
no, because rather than being lulled into a false sense of security that because they're the main characters, nothing awful will ever happen to them. So, you know, we've got to keep an eye on them now. So it, it worked well that way. Was the public reaction to Molly's death a surprise to you or did you expect it by that stage? I think we expected it. Uh, yeah, I, I, yes, I, I'm pretty sure. Yes, we did expect it. And uh, and the uh, and the, the final episode was beautifully written too. It was a stunner of a... And, and beautifully played, beautifully played. Thank you so much. This has been yeah, this has you. been such a delight. Like, yeah. and and so, and so, um, like we've been excited and nervous about this interview from the second <laughs> that we uh that we booked in to speak with you, and you've just been amazing. So thank you so oh, much. It was, it was it was it was actually lovely to revisit. You know, for okay. a long time, I, I really didn't. You know, I really didn't want anything to do with country practice saying you know i've got to get on uh, yeah. other things that's and uh, all that part of the uh, of the uh, of being typecast and all that trying to get rid of that but now <laughs> I, I, i'm yeah we were very proud of what we made uh, yeah. at the time we were very proud of making it and it was a pleasure to make the, the whole thing so it's been uh, been a pleasure to revisit so thank you very oh, much for inviting right. me thank yeah. you well, so much yeah it's, and you should be proud because look at i mean how many other shows are being talked about all these yeah. years later and any time you know any time either of us put anything on social media or the likes about a country practice everybody wants to engage and talk yeah. and remember this yeah. or remember that yeah, yeah, you're yeah. quite the heartthrob too on our Facebook page. <laughs> the 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 um the sort of forty year old women who were children just can't get over <laughs> how they thought you were like a dad back then, and then they're grown yeah. up and we're all the yeah. same age now as yes. parents. <laughs> yes, I, at, at, at the time I always you know when uh, Grant and, and Shane and and people like that were sort of you know having teenagers that, or, or and young and twenty year olds sort of flocking around them and. And uh, and I and they all said, and they'd come up to me and say, "Oh, my mum loves you." <laughs> Shane Porteous, what a legend! We'll be back in a few weeks with our first episode of season two, where we're going to find out how creator James Davin got a country practice to air when he's our special guest. Yes. And also fantastic news this week because there's been a bit of panic among the A Country Practice fans across Australia who have been watching it on 7 Plus because until just this week, uh, until time of recording, Melanie, um, (laughs) it was saying nine weeks to go on all of the episodes of A Country Practice on 7 Plus. But thankfully, it's been given, as you said, a stay of execution. Um, It's up there for at least another year, hopefully forever. What a relief. I'm sure it is going to be up there forever. Like what what would be the point of taking it down when everybody's loving it so much and it's bringing people to Channel 7? Exactly. Until the apocalypse comes, surely we can have summer country <laughs> practice to ease ourselves into it. <laughs> Kim, I'm just thinking before we go, what have you been have you been watching anything that's non-country practice related over your holidays? Oh, do you know what I watched yesterday? And what? I actually wanted to message you afterwards because I just loved it so much and I wanted to know if you've seen it. It's two years old, Dumpling. Have you seen Dumpling? Oh, on- yeah, I loved it. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's the sort of thing. Um, so for, for anyone that doesn't know Kim and I or 
or doesn't know my history, I've written a lot about, you know, I grew up as a fat kid and I've written a lot about fatness and, you know, trying to fight that or not fight it or embrace it, all that kind of stuff. Dumpling is the sort of film that I wish had have existed when I was 13. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful? It is so beautiful. The bit where she goes on stage in the swimmers. <gasps> yes. I cried for about half an hour afterwards. Oh, it was really? so beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> it is. I love movies about sort of family relationships and growth yeah. and relationships and that's exactly what it is. It's just, do you know what I loved about it without going into too much of it? It wasn't, it, so it's about a beauty pageant, but there was no, it was just about people supporting each other for the most part. Yeah, like it was all film. about a bunch of people supporting each other. There was no bitchy blonde head of the pageant who was there to take everybody down either it just didn't fall into predictability so yeah yeah i loved it even jennifer aniston the mum who mm. runs the pageant and who is a pageant queen with a daughter who is you know not your traditional pageant yeah. queen is still like a beautiful human being she was it, isn't yeah. she yeah and she was still proud of her daughter and in, in in her odd way of showing it you know yeah yeah it was an absolute cracker oh yeah. I'm so glad you watched that yeah That's yeah so great it was wonderful how about you well I, I haven't been watching a lot of tv I'm just trying to think of what Oh, you know what I'm watching at the moment mm-hmm. that's on Netflix is a show called I'm Sorry, which is oh. this comedian who I think I've heard on a Dax Shepherd podcast, Andrea Savage, and it's a half hour comedy just about her life as, you know, a mum and a wife and a writer in the world of, and of you know, kids' school and all that kind of stuff. It's not usually all that appealing to me, but she is so funny mm. and upbeat yep. that I feel like after every episode of watching it, it's like a shot of happiness in your arm. Nice. I love that sort of show. You can't help yourself laughing. You can't help – like her and her husband have a really fun relationship. Like they have – like well, basically she has fun with him and he enjoys yeah. it, you know. That, that's basically how it works. So it's it's a real good Kim. I'd recommend it. I'm sorry. There go the girls. My dogs love it too. The dogs love it too. I'll just get Mabel in here. Sorry, Kim, I should have had that organised. That's okay. While we're on the subject of animals, I've got to tell you that I've had a wildlife indoors experience. It was very Wandon Valley. What happened? The other night. So we've had had a possum Oh, I've been having nightmares about your possum. It's been in our roof and we keep getting a possum man around to plug holes and put in one-way doors so I can get out but not back in. And I'm calling it – I've decided to call it Peter Manning because it's it's unwanted, but it won't go away. <laughs> so Peter, Peter Manning, Manning, the possum. from country practice. <laughs> yes. Poor Peter Manning. He eventually well, he gets is. dumped. And He's now you've, unwanted. Now you've called him a bloody, now you've named a bloody unwanted possum after him. How's Mark Watsy Watsy going to feel about Look, that? Look, this is nothing to do with Mark Watsy Watsy. This is all about. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Mark Watsy Watsy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, Marco and. Taylor? Marco, Marco and Taylor. Something. How's Marco and Taylor going to fit? He's never going to come on this show now, that's for sure. Look, it's nothing against Marco and Taylor, <laughs> but Peter Manning was a pest. <laughs> Have you seen how much he used to hassle Alex before she finally gave in oh, to him? But yeah. I, I am not giving into this possum because you know what it did to me the other night? What? When it's really hot in my house, mm. I sometimes sleep on the couch because it's just that little bit more cool in that particular room. Is everything other- okay, Kim? 
Is everything it's all okay? right? We're okay. We're good. fine. My husband and I, you know, we're we're good. And and because of this just this incident, I have returned to the marital bed. <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> because I heard a. I was I was asleep at about one o'clock in the morning, and I heard a thump 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 of footsteps, which I thought was my daughter getting up to go to the toilet mm-hmm. and oh, then the thump thump, no. thump 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 just kept going and then it just was like thump 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 and then and then I saw the outline of a possum in my oh, lounge room no. right in front of the couch that I was oh, trying no. to sleep on <laughs> I just I went into oh, I, first no. of all I just like took a wide berth around no. it to close the kids doors bedroom doors and then I went into my husband and I was just like Chris it's in the house <laughs> <laughs> was it making it <laughs> It was doing. What's it was yeah. That is horrible. It was sound, more terrified it? than us, but I was ridiculous. I was just like, <laughs> "Oh my god, it's in the house, Chris!" <laughs> and then I was saying to him, "Put this box over. Just put this box over." It. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! And Poor it, Marco it and was Taylor, terrified. The Pete the Pete the pest of a possum <laughs> was more terrified of us than we were of it, oh. and thankfully it hid. Under a desk, which was right beside the back door. And when it finally, we just stood there and watched it for a while and waited. Yeah. And then it just walked out the back door. Please let that be the end of this possum now. Well, we're sleeping with all windows closed and I've got, um, because we don't have screen. This is such an annoying Brisbane thing is that so many houses here don't have screens on the windows. Why? um, Oh, they're old houses. It's an old post-war, which is like... You know, if you lived in Canberra, you knew about the ex-govy. What does Sydney yeah, have? Yeah. What's, what's no, the it's probably an, it probably a, a, it was not called an ex-govy, but it's probably, is it called a post-war? Oh uh, it, no, it, it's yeah, maybe it's a post-war fibro, but they're usually yeah. fibro houses. Yeah, this isn't fibro, but it's it's a post-war cottage, and um, yes, no window, no. Because I would think Queenslanders would need screens more than anybody else. Oh, my God. There'd be God, so many we bugs. Do. Of course we do. It's so annoying. Yeah. So, yes, I've got someone coming out to quote on screens as soon as possible. Oh, my gosh. So, Peter Manning the Possum, keep us posted. I hope that's the end I of will. Peter Manning the Possum. I hope that he considers Chris the Dr. Terrence in the Alex Peter Manning Dr. Terrence yeah. love triangle. And you can just go on with your life. I'd much rather spike the echidna break into my house. <laughs> Didn't you tell me, though, Kim, that possums don't actually leave? They end up coming back or they... Yeah. So you I just think have to live just, with this possum. I think Peter we just Manning, have to... Possum. Do you know what I think we need to do is actually give it... We, we, we need to build a granny flat for it in the backyard. So, <laughs> And by granny flat, I mean a nest in a tree. <laughs> but peter manning the pesky possum is going to be like the adult son who won't leave home right and so instead of letting him stay in his main bedroom we're going to kick him into the backyard how big because you've seen it now it's been how big is it yeah it's a pretty decent sized possum like is it like bigger than like it's as big as a cat that's horrific i can't hear any more about that (laughs) that's horrific anyway at least it wasn't a carpet snake because that happens a lot in queensland as well really do they kill you Carpet no. snakes? Oh, then no. I'd much rather a carpet snake in my house than a Ugh. than a possum. Possums are disgusting and they smell and mm. they the sound. Oh, Kim, that's yeah. horrible. It's just I'm sorry. I think you should move back to New South Wales slash Canberra. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this Queensland experiment's gone on long enough. It has been a bit ridiculous, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we better call it a day. All right, Kim. So, what do we need to let our listeners know? Oh, we. 
We need to let our listeners know that we have a Facebook page, A Country Podcast, on yes. Facebook. We have Follow that. us there. Yep, you can follow us there. You can follow us on our individual Twitters. I'm at Melanie Tate. I'm seriously thinking about quitting, like just, just giving up the ghost with Twitter. But at the moment, it's at Kim Lester. Great. That was, and- that was an enthusiastic <laughs> pitch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> and Kim, um, we should mention as well, we've now entered into the 40th anniversary year of a country yes. practice. So we want to do a bunch of events or as many events as COVID's going to let us this year. So if you've got some ideas, do get in touch with us via our Facebook page and let us know those ideas. We really want to come and visit different cities and talk with different actors and creatives all you know, in real life and meet you, our listener. Yeah, yeah, we want to meet you especially. And until then, thank you for sharing what we do. Thank you for telling mm-hmm. your friends and your relatives and thank you for reviewing us on iTunes. That is so helpful. And um, speaking about reviews, how great was um, the little write-up that Josie Ryan gave us in Saturday's Sydney Morning Herald? Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Josie. Thank you so much for that. That was great. Now we've been in the Sydney Morning Herald. We're pretty excited. So thank you. Anywhere, if you can share the gospel of a country podcast anywhere, we'd be ever so grateful. We'll be back in your podcast feed on February 5 with the first episode of the new season with the almighty creator of a country practice, James Davin. And as promised last season, we are kicking it off with a wedding, Simon and Vicky's, which I think is the big kahuna of ACP weddings, really. It's got the greatest um, outfit of all time in it as well. All of a country practice, Shirley's outfit in it is just extraordinary. Cannot wait. So until then, Mel. Goodbye. Goodbye, Kim. Good luck with Peter Manning the Possum. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs>